0: So here's what we're gonna do now. I I wanna start with just the, the point I made to kick this whole thing off, and that is this. We've grown up in a culture that has told you how to deal with conflict in one of two ways. That is either avoid it at all costs and it will just go away, right? Or two, enter it to win it, to defeat them. And like we see this all day, every day on the news, on social media, at your workplace. We just see, like, like, like the best way to describe it maybe is, is kind of that gotcha journalism that we've grown up to detest, right? They hide behind the corner, shove a microphone in somebody's face, tell them something, and they're not prepared for it, and the way, gotcha, you look like a fool, so you can't be right, we're right, we win. Like, like it's just, like we're just waiting, right? And that's what's kind of shown to us. This is how you do it. And so then it becomes those who are best at the gotcha style, or maybe the better way to call it is the ambush style of confrontation, wins. If I can just prove you wrong, I'm going to defeat you. But we gotta remember that we're not here to defeat. We're here to bring reconciliation, not to trap anybody. Because what an ambush does is it forces someone into unwanted vulnerability when we ambush somebody because we all of a sudden have the upper hand and they have nothing. Right. And now whether, whether we go into a conversation to restore it. Okay. Like we talked about last week or what we're going to talk about tonight is if we're on the other side of that conversation and someone comes to you because they want, they need to show you your fault or what you are doing that they need to say, Hey, I love you enough to say this. Cause I don't want to break anybody's ego too hard tonight, but all of you at some point have been wrong. I've been wrong. I've been confronted. I've, I've had people sit me down and say, Hey, we need to talk. And so we can't have this conversation about war and peace and about restoration without talking about both sides of the conversation. And so that's what we're going to talk about tonight. We're going to look at the other side of the conversation and how we respond to correction when someone comes to us and we are the ones that need to hear truth. Now, if I can be honest with you, when this has happened to me almost every single time, um, my first reaction is not usually, oh, this is fantastic. Been waiting all day for someone to come into my office, sit me down, and say, Andy, here's your problem. Right? None of us do that. And so it's usually, it feels like an ambush. Even if someone does it really, really well, it still feels like an ambush. And if someone does it really bad and they're super aggressive and loud and whatever, it feels really like an ambush. But here's why it feels like an ambush this little thing called pride that I believe I'm right. I wouldn't have done that. I wouldn't have said that. I wouldn't have gone there if I didn't think I'm right. And so that's why it always feels like an ambush. Whether someone does it perfectly, like textbook, they approach you, it's gonna feel like, oh, ugh. Don't want to have this conversation. So here's what I want to do. I want to, we're we're going to go to Hebrews chapter 12. If you have your Bibles, that's where we're going to kind of launch off tonight. Hebrews chapter 12. And what I want to do is I want to lay a little groundwork of what's happening here. And then I want to set up some ground rules for the rest of my main message, okay? I want to give some ground rules that we can kind of filter through the rest of it with. All right, so Hebrews 12. So basically what's happening is the author of Hebrews is discussing um, this, this call to sanctification, which is just a fancy term for spiritual growth, maturing in our faith. And we see in verse 1 and 2 that famous, uh, you know, therefore there is such a great cloud of witnesses, right? You, if you grew up in church, you've heard that verse. And all he's saying is, is referring back to Hebrews 11, where you see this list, one after another, after another, of Old Testament prophets and characters that have been faithful. And in verse 1 and 2 of chapter 12, all the author is saying is, hey, there's a great cloud of witnesses cheering you on in your endeavor to put sin aside and pursue Jesus. This is the same section that says, um, cast off all the sin and hindrances that slow you down to run the race marked out for you. Notice that it says, cast off the things that so easily entangle us, sin and other hindrances, which meaning there are things that are gonna hold us down and slow us down in our faith journey that are not sin. There are the obvious, but there's also the other things that are actually good things, but but they become ultimate things, and so therefore they slow us down. The author says, cast those aside. In In verse three and four it says, do not grow weary in your struggle with sin. Verse 5 and 6, the author quotes Proverbs 3. It says, My child, don't reject the Lord's discipline. And that word discipline in this section is just a word for training and correction. Like, like, a, like a parent trains up their kid. Alright? My child, don't reject the Lord's discipline, and don't be upset when he corrects you. For the Lord corrects those he loves, just as a father corrects a child in whom he delights. And in verse seven, he says, I, it says we, God corrects us because, and he's treating you as a, his child. Not out of duty, not because he has to, or because, he's, because he loves you. Like I see this all day long in my house. <laughs> like we have a front yard, we play football out there, and, but we also have a street right there, just like every front yard in the world, right? And we're playing and that ball goes flying into the street. My sons are just looking at the ball, like I need to go get the ball. And they'll run over and we live in a quiet neighborhood and there's usually not cars there, but every once in a while there's a car coming. And because I love my children, I will correct their behavior in that moment swiftly and at times violently, (laughs) right? Because I don't want them to get by a car. I see where they're going and I correct them. I train them, hey, before you go after the baseball, Look both ways. And that's what the author of Hebrews is saying here. We, we accept correction from our parents and we respect them for it, so why would we not also look to God to train us and correct us and respect and listen to him? And this next section, 12, verses 10 and 11, herein lies the principles that I wanna start with tonight. All right, follow me here. It says, they disciplined us for a little while, they being our fathers, They disciplined us for a little while as they thought best, but God disciplines us for our good in order that we may share in his holiness. No discipline, training, correction, seems pleasant at the time, but painful. Later on, however, it produces a harvest of righteousness and peace for those who have been trained by it. And so I want to start off tonight. I'm going to give you two lists tonight. One's Three, li- three items long, and one is seven. We're gonna start with three, all right? And this is gonna lay the groundwork to set us up for the meat of what I'm gonna talk about, and that is how do we handle correction? But the ground rules are these. The ground rules when it comes to receiving correction. These are the things you just need to understand going into it. Universal truths, here we go. Number one, it rarely feels good to us, but it is, it is good for us. It rarely feels good when someone walks to you and says, hey, we need to talk. Like I said earlier, it's, it's that ambush feeling. My pride, is, my pride is at stake. Hebrews 12, 11. We just read it. It says, no discipline seems pleasant at the time, but painful. But later on, however, it produces a harvest of righteousness and peace for those who have been trained by it. We see this again in Proverbs 27, 17. It's a very famous ber- uh, verse. As iron sharpens iron, so one man sharpens another. Now, I don't wanna just assume that everyone in here knows how to sharpen a knife, but many of you do. You either have a little block of this dark, hard stone and you, you spit on it and you rub the knife on it like this, right, you, one edge and then the other edge, or you have one in your kitchen that has those two little cross things and you you know, you're, and it's that fingernails on a chalkboard sound. You're like, oh, that, mm. I guess I'll go with a dull knife, right? But that's what this verse means. Proverbs 27, 17 says, as iron sharpens iron, when there is friction, it sharpens you. Because the knife is still a knife when it's dull, right? It doesn't become not a knife. What it becomes is slowly and slowly less efficient and useful as it becomes dull. And so as Christians, as brothers and sisters in Christ, we're encouraged to sharpen one another. But the truth is that it rarely feels good to us, but it is good for us. And the result over time is maturity in our faith. That we would mature one another so that we might run the race marked out for us. Number two, the second ground rule is that we need to understand that when someone comes to us to correct us, there's a very high chance they're not going to do it right. There's a very high chance they're not gonna do it right. You know why? Because people hate conflict and we don't do it. And so when someone comes to you for the first time to show you your fault, you need to understand there's a high probability that they are not gonna do something right. They're they're gonna say something that you disagree with immediately. They're gonna retell a story or the situation and they're not gonna get every detail right. Their body language may look very aggressive or it's just not gonna be exactly the way you would want it to happen. And you need to understand that. I need to understand that when someone comes to show me my fault, there's a high probability they're not gonna do it right. Hebrews 12, 10 tells us this. It says, they disciplined, trained us for a little while as they thought best. They were just doing their best. Some of you have parents that you're like, yep, that's my parents. They tried, but man, they screwed me up. I'm in counseling now, and <laughs> we're dealing with it, right? Like, that's my comfort. I'm like, you know what? If I'm, not, if I'm a perfect parent, my children will not know forgiveness, And so I need to screw up as a parent so they can forgive me, right? Like like I said, it's it's part of the process because I'm not gonna be a perfect parent. And guess what? Your friend, your family member, your significant other, your whatever, they're probably not gonna do it just right. And my encouragement is understand that going into it and give them grace. Give them grace. My kids are awesome at this like when we correct them, I always screw part of the story up, right? And they are so fast, like I didn't do that part, I didn't do that, that part, I didn't do it. Like they don't wanna talk about this part, or this part, just this part, right? Like after you came home from school, you did, I, it wasn't after school, I didn't do that, that that's not when it was. Because they're trying to completely discredit what I'm saying, and it doesn't matter. And so be patient, be gracious, because it's easy to focus on the form rather than the substance of the conversation. We'll get to that in a little bit. And then thirdly, the third ground rule uh, when receiving correction is we need to work on being approachable. We need to work on being approachable. Have you ever asked yourself that? Are you approachable? Do your friends or family feel like they could actually come to you and tell you maybe a hard truth without you freaking out. Knowing you'll actually listen. Ephesians four fifteen, Paul encourages, speak truth in love. Here's the question I want to ask you regarding being approachable. Have you ever made yourself available to anyone and given them permission to approach you at any time? Have you ever thought about that? Like if you're in a small group, there's there should probably be one or two people in your group that you're like, you know what? I trust them. They're a godly person. And you walk up to them and say, hey, I just want like I want I want to help in my walk with Christ. And I just want you to know I'm gonna give you permission. I want you to watch me. I want you to listen to me, and I give you permission at any time to correct me if you see something in me, about me that I'm doing that you don't think aligns with my faith. If you see an attitude, if I speak to somebody, if you see a tendency, I I give you permission to speak into my life and I promise you I will listen to you and I will thank you. Here's the great part about this. You get to pick the person who confronts you. Think about that. Because most likely some random stranger is not gonna come up to you and be like, listen. Now maybe there are, (laughs) I don't know. All right, there's some Enneagram eights in here they're like, "I could do that." <laughs> but most likely, it's going to be someone that you love and care for. Give them permission to do it. Say, "Hey, I want to walk with Jesus, and I want my life to reflect the gospel of Jesus Christ in the way I date, in the way I speak, in the way I work, in the way I treat people. If you see anything in me, I give you permission. Be approachable. Now, being approachable doesn't mean we will always agree with what they say, but it means that people will feel free to initiate conversations with us because they know they will be received with grace. That's a big deal. If I'm honest with you, as I was talking to my team this, this afternoon, you know when I'm most approachable? It's when I've been marinating in God's word consistently. Because when I'm in God's word, it helps me be self-aware that I do have faults. It's when I get away from the gospel, when I get away from God's word, that I start believing in the gospel of me. That I'm right, that I know the right thing to do. But as I read the grace that we read about in God's word, it reminds me, Andy, you've got some faults. And so when someone comes to me and says, hey, Andy, I need to show you a fault. I'm like, okay, yeah, I got them. What is it, what is it this time? And I'll tell you, I'll be honest with you, the older I get, the easier this has become. I think it's in John 6, maybe? I can't remember exactly where it is. But it's the famous uh, story of Jesus who says, you who have not sinned cast the first stone. Well, in that situation, right after, the first line after that, it says, the older men left first. You know why? Because the older you get, the more familiar with your sin you'll become. The more familiar, like, I know my temptations. I know what gets me. And so if someone comes to me and says, Hey, hey Andy, you're, you're kind of acting, I'm like, Yeah, I know, that's been a problem. I'm like, thank you. I'm most approachable when I'm marinating in God's word because it helps me be self aware. Okay. So the ground rules for receiving correction are is it rarely feels good to us, but it is good for us. They may not do it right, likely they will not do it right, but give them grace. And then we need to be approachable. We need to be humble and welcome it as it, we are sharpen one another as we pursue Jesus. And because of these things, I want to share seven things with you very quickly of how we respond to correction. Now tonight's a little bit different. I'm gonna gonna mash together my main points and my application because this is really practical stuff. So let's go. The whole covering here is Proverbs 12, 15. The way of fools seem right to them, but the wise listen to advice. Let me say that again. Proverbs 12, 15 is like the umbrella verse for how we receive correction. The way of a fool seems right to them, but the wise listen to advice. So how do we respond to correction number one? Listen attentively. Number one, listen attentively. James 1.19, my dear brothers and sisters, take note of this. Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. You see, listening is a skill that we can build and grow and get better at. There is nothing, especially for the extroverts in the room, more wearing than listening to someone. Because we wanna talk, right? We just wanna like, hey, I got an opinion about that, I I know what that, like we're just like off, 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 here we go. Like for me, I'm kind of an introvert, extrovert, depending on my situation, but listening to me, like I know I've been a good listener when I'm mentally exhausted. Not because they're tiring me out, because I've got to focus so hard on what they're actually saying because my natural tendency is to come up with my excuse and my story of why you're wrong while you're still talking. And that is a red flag that you're not listening. If you're already coming up with your excuse, your justification, your, oh, well, you're, oh they're wrong on that one. Oh my gosh, okay, like, right? That's not good listening. James 1.19 says we are to listen quickly be slow to speak and be slow to angry. Be angry. See, the goal is when someone comes to speak to you is to listen to the person and what the Holy Spirit may be communicating to you through them. If they're a fellow Christ follower, then they have the Holy Spirit dwelling in them. And just maybe, maybe just maybe, God is using them to share something with you so that you'll hear it. A good habit to get into to make sure that you're listening is when they're done speaking, repeat back to them what you just heard them say. Because a lot lot is lost in translation. Someone says something, my mind, like, I mean, let's be honest, like the first 30 seconds of the conversation, I'm so taken back that they're confronting me. I'm like, uh, uh, I, what, what's happening? I, I'm so sorry, what what I do? We're, we're not listening just because we're, we're ambushed. So it's helpful to say, hey, so what, so what I'm hearing you say is you think the way that I speak to people is disrespectful. And then they have the opportunity to say yes or no. Let, let me clarify, that's not what I'm saying. Because if we're gonna reconcile, we've gotta make sure that we're hearing the same thing. So the first thing we do when we receive correction is listen attentively. Number two is thank them and in a non-defensive way, discuss the issue. Thank them. 1 Peter 5, 5 says in the same way, you who are younger, submit yourselves to your elders. All of you, clothe yourselves with humility towards one another because God opposes the proud but gives favor to the humble. And you'd be saying, Andy, what do you mean thank them? They just like uh, came at me. Here's why you thank them. Because one, they are being obedient in administering the ministry of reconciliation to you. We talked about this last week. We have been given by God through Christ the ministry of reconciliation. We are called to reconcile. So the first thing is thank you. Thank you for being willing to come to me and say this. Even if you disagree, you can still acknowledge that what they're doing is really, really hard. Because last week, some of you, as we talked about how you go talk to someone, your heart's like, oh, I could never do that. I could never do that, right? And for you, you're probably waiting weeks, practicing it and preparing your heart and getting the log out of your eye before you go to them. So you acknowledge the effort that they have given and say, thank you, I know this is probably hard for you, but thank you for coming and sharing that with me. Because here's what happens in that moment. The tension just goes, because you just told them, this is okay, this is okay. I'm not mad at you. I'm thankful for you. And all of their fears go away. And it kind of prepares your heart in humility to say, all right, let's continue the conversation. This is okay. What we don't do (laughs) right after they say, hey, I, I I wanna talk with you about something and this is what it is. What we don't do is say, you did that wrong. You did it wrong. I'm sorry. That was terrible. Let me give you a different illustration. As many of you know, I have five children. And I have taught, along with my wife, five children how to walk. Huge success. They all can do it. Four of them can run. Um, Here's what I don't do when I teach my little one and a half year old how to walk. I pick them up and I hold their arms And they take a step and I let go of one hand and the other, and then they immediately fall flat on their face. What I don't do is say, you idiot, what are you doing? I cannot believe you did that wrong because they don't know how to walk. And most of the people who are going to come to you and try to reconcile with you have never done it before. And so, whether it's in here or in here, we don't rip them to shreds by trying and not doing it just right. We say thank you. Because when I'm teaching my son or my daughter how to walk, I would be like, yeah, let's do it again. All right, two steps, this. It was encouraging. And a thank you encourages them to say, okay, it's okay. I can do this. Let's keep going. Number three. After we listen attentively and after we thank them in a non-defensive way, discuss. Oh, and by the way, I missed that part. What I mean by discuss the issue is ask for clarification, ask for examples, and say, help me understand what you mean by that. Can you give me an example of when I did that? Like, in a very, this is important, non-defensive way. Because as soon as we, we bring defensiveness, the conversation derails, okay? Number three. After we do that, we receive the truth. Proverbs 18, 12. Before a downfall, the heart is arrogant, but humility comes before honor. We need to receive the truth. Now, you may be saying, well, Andy, what if they're wrong? Okay, fair enough. There are gonna be people that come to you and they're totally wrong. But here's what we, as we receive this information, need to ask ourselves. What percentage of this problem am I responsible for? And I will take 100% of that. If you're 1% wrong, right, take 100% responsibility for your 1%. Like, listen for the truth that there's something that you need to hear in whatever they're saying. Whether they've perceived something wrong that you said, it might just be the way you communicate. You need to understand that the way you communicate, communicates this, that you're mad that you're a know-it-all, that you're whatever, then maybe you need to hear that. May I need to change how I address people? Now, what you said, that's not what I meant, but maybe the way I speak is taken wrong a lot, so maybe I need to check that. So we need to receive the truth that's there. It may not be a huge truth, but it might be a little bit, and we need to be ready to take it. Number four, after we thank them, after we receive the truth, And this one kind of happens right in the middle of number three is don't deflect and correct them in return don't deflect or correct them in return Proverbs 27 6 says wounds from a friend can be trusted but an enemy multiplies kisses we have to fight that urge in the moment where they're speaking to give every rebuttal of why they're wrong and justify what I did you got to fight that urge because they're coming to you they care about you they're a friend and proverbs says you can trust that word you can trust the wounds of a friend it's okay they're not trying to kill you but their words may wound you but it's good for you it's called pruning the rose bushes don't like to be clipped right but when you do they bloom 10 times more we got to be careful not to deflect or correct in return, meaning pointing out how they did it wrong. We're deflecting the problem. I don't want to talk about what you're talking about. I want to talk about this because you whatever. And a lot of times that looks like, Camille, will you do that? Well, you just said to me I've seen you do 10 times. Like that's not the time. That is not the time. They're coming to you. You are the subject of the conversation. Embrace it. Let them sharpen you. Don't deflect it or try and turn it back around on them and say, well, this is your problem too. There'll be a time for that, probably multiple days later, where you can go to them and say, hey, you know, I really appreciate the conversation we had. I thought that was really good for us. And it really really brought up something for me to talk to you about. Like, you need some time there. I don't know. I'm not gonna give you 48 hours or 36 and a half hours. I, I don't know what it is. You gotta pray for discernment there. But in the moment, do not shove it back on them and say, well, you are just as wrong. Because that just brings up another conflict. All right, so don't deflect or correct. Number five, instead, graciously respond verbally to them. Graciously respond verbally. Colossians 4, 6, Paul writes, let your conversation be always full of grace, seasoned with salt, so that you know, you may know how to answer everyone. Let your conversation be always full of undeserved favor, grace. Let your conversations always be full of undeserved favor, grace. Seasoned with salt, salt is a preservative. We speak with grace to preserve the relationship. You guys know what it's like not to speak with salt and grace? You've maybe been spoken to in a way that was not graceful and was not full of salt because it destroyed the relationship. Words cut and so we need to be careful how we respond verbally, but we need to respond verbally. Now, if I wanna give you a little script just to give you something to think about. Because there's, there's a reality that they're gonna come to you and say, hey, this is what's going on, and they're not accurate. There's a, cha- there's a good chance of that. So how do you respond with grace instead of starting an argument like, you're wrong. Here's what you say, something like, thank you for taking the time to talk with me. I always wanna be open to what others have to say to me, and I promise to think carefully about what you said. Grace. You didn't argue with them you didn't justify your behavior, you genuinely said thank you, I mean, I always wanna be open to getting better and I will carefully think about what you're gonna say. Done. Done. Season with Saul. Now, let's just say they are right. And they say something and you're like, oh gosh. Too soon, right? Like, I mean, and you're just, you're, in the moment you're like, you're right. I do do that, I do say that, I do think that, I do treat people like that. And they are right on the money. You say something like this. Thank you for taking the time to talk with me. What you've shared makes a lot of sense and I agree with what you've said. Would you pray with me and for me that I will be open to God's work in my life? Oh man, yes. Humility, grace, reconciliation. Because you know what, there's a good chance they're right. One of the greatest things that I've ever been gifted was the lesson to say, you know what, you're right, I'm wrong. Like it's here's just a tip: it's not going to kill you to say you're wrong. I was wrong. It's not going to kill you. So in that in that case, we just confess, apologize, and ask for forgiveness, like we talked about in week two. We say, you're right, I did this, I was wrong, will you please forgive me? And then number six, if appropriate, pray together. James 5, 16 says, confess your sins to one another. Pray for one another that you may be healed. And I will say, if, if appropriate, right, they may not be a believer, and so maybe that's, that's an awkward moment, but I would encourage you, if it's between a brother and sister in Christ or two brothers in Christ or two sisters in Christ, like bring God back into the conversation at this point. And say, hey, let's pray together. Will you pray for me? Would you pray that God would use this conversation to sharpen me and grow me and mature me in my faith? And then I'm gonna pray and say, thank God for a friend like you. And so at the end of the conversation, you can bring it back. You say, all right, we've worked it out. Now let's, let's bring this back to God and we can walk out of here stronger in our friendship and in our faith. And then lastly, number seven, after the conversation's over, after you've prayed, after you've listened attentively, after you have done all the things, guard your heart and your mouths afterwards. Guard your heart and your mouth afterwards. 1 Thessalonians 5 says... This Now we ask you, brothers and sisters, to acknowledge those who work hard among you. You know what's hard work? Confronting someone you love. That's hard work. It says, acknowledge those who work hard among you, who care for you in the Lord, and who correct you and admonish you. Hold them in the highest regard in love because of their work. Live in peace with each other. So we need to guard our hearts so that we don't do this, so that we do not gossip about them after the conversation, right? This is what we, I mean, I'm, I mean, I'm being too honest, but like, this is what, like, I'll go home and be like, man, can you, can you believe that they had the audacity to say that to me? Like, right? what are you doing? You're, you're killing everything that just happened. Because now you've got to go and say, hey, I have sinned against you, I gossiped about you after I left. Like, no, no. no. Don't go to your friends and explain and tell the whole story just to make yourself feel better about what happened. Like biblical reconciliation, there are three people involved. There is you, them, and the Lord. And so afterwards, we got to guard our hearts and guard our mouths that we wouldn't, in in an effort to self-soothe and make sure that I feel okay about it, that I get justification from my friends. Like, get on my side. You're on my side on this, right? Like, you agree with me? They're wrong? Don't do that forgive Hebrews 12 15 just after this says do not let any bitterness spring up and cause trouble among you don't tell someone to make yourself feel better it's between you and them and God and just a side note if you're that friend that people come to don't let them use you to gossip shut them down you say, you know what, this is not between me and them. Like, I don't, I don't need to hear that. If you have a problem with them, you need to go to them. And I promise you this, if you come to me with a problem with someone else, the first question I'm going to ask you is have you talked to them? Because I don't want to hear it unless you've addressed them. Go to them and then you don't, let you, don't let your friends drag you into gossip. It's pornography of the mouth, we've already talked about that. It's pleasure at someone else's expense with no commitment to them. You're using them for entertainment. So shut it down. We need to guard our hearts and our our mouths after the fact. So as I close, I just want to remind us of this. Can I just be honest? This is my favorite part of the talk. Because at the end of every talk, I don't know if you've noticed, I really have a lot of fun bringing the gospel back into conflict. Because this is it. it. I guess as helpful as these, these tips are, great. I hope they help your relationships. But at the end of the day, there is one relationship that if that one ain't right, then all the rest doesn't really matter. Because let's be honest, the cross of Christ confronts us every day. The cross of Jesus Christ confronts us because it tells us that we have a problem The cross of Jesus Christ tells us that sin is our problem. It's not other people, it's me. I've got a sin problem. And the cross of Christ reminds me that apart from Jesus, I am separated. I am in conflict with God. But here's the cool thing about the cross. Not only is the cross what confronts you and me, the cross is what reconciles you and me. The cross shows us our fault and it also offers forgiveness. It all happens at the cross. God is a God of reconciliation. He chose mercy and grace over his wrath. And he said, I'm going to enter the conflict with my son Jesus. I'm going to send him to you and he's going to show you your fault. On the cross it's proof. This is the cost of your sin. It is not cheap. God takes our sin seriously. So serious, it cost him his son. And so he says, I love you and I value you so much that I'm going to confront you with the reality of your sin. But I'm also going to offer you full payment for your sin and freedom from it. That's why I love biblical confrontation. Because it constantly, time and time again, reminds me of the cross of Jesus and that God is all about bringing you who are far near through the cross of Christ. There's no amount of church attendance, there's no amount of good behavior that can earn what Jesus offers. And so if you're here tonight, maybe you're a cultural Christian Maybe you just grew up going to church, doing all the church stuff, but you've never actually confessed the reality of your situation in sin and said, God, this is who I am. I know it. Will you please forgive me? I give my life to you. Then man, tonight's the night. Let's do it. Let's start living a life of freedom, of peace and rest and restoration. Or, just like all conflict, It may not go well and you can reject the offer of reconciliation on the cross. And you can say, you know what, I'm gonna keep going on my own. I don't don't wanna hear about my sin. I don't wanna hear about my fault, I'm good. And you can keep striving and and searching and trying to get the next thing to soothe the pain and, and the sorrow of our sin. Or you can come to Jesus and rest in the love and grace and mercy of Christ. So as we go into our 120 seconds, I just wanna offer you this. Are you in the middle of a conflict or do you have a conflict? That's some of the things we talked about. Ask, ask the Holy Spirit to show you what you need, what your, what your response and obedience is. What do you need to do? And secondly, you need to ask yourself. I would encourage you in 120 seconds to do business with God. Have you reconciled with the Lord because he wants to reconcile with you. And if you doubt for one ounce that you have not, don't leave here tonight without talking to our prayer team or myself or Mary Ashton. Our prayer team will be in the back while we worship and they'll be in the front at the end. So come, be reconciled to God and to one another. Let's pray. God, thank you that you are a God of reconciliation. God, thank you that you are a God who sees us and knows us and is fully aware of the depth of our brokenness, yet you sent your son to reconcile. God, thank you, we praise you and we worship you with music and with song and with our lungs and with our body because you are good and you are gracious and you are full of lovely kindness that which leads us to repent. So God, I pray you do business with us tonight. I pray things in your name, amen.